for February 10th, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 293. In communist Russia, everything is awesome. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, I'm Matt Rather, and I'm here with the panel to overthink the Olympics. Ring fail. Uh... Get Lucky, performed by Russian policemen and uh, all manner of things uh, having to do with the Olympic movement. And it is a movement. Uh, But first, this week saw the opening of the Lego movie to surprisingly, astonishingly fantastic reviews. And uh, the one person who's seen it on the podcast, Pete Fenzel, says it is a good movie. Is that true, Pete? Uh, everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Every- I have been singing the song from the Lego movie nonstop since I left the theater. And I saw a 9.40 p.m. showing on Saturday night. So this was uh, <laughs> not the most packed theater I've ever been in. That's for sure. But there was a dedicated small crowd. Yes, the Lego movie is a lightning bolt of fun and nostalgia and silliness. Uh, and we'll talk about it for a bit, but I want us to get to the question of the week first. Well, the question of the week is in honor of the Lego movie. Um, you know, we all played with Lego when we were children, but now we are adults. We are men. We are grown ass men. And so uh, to my cohort of grown ass men, I ask the following questions. Uh, what would you like to build with Lego? <laughs> now that now that you're a grown up, given an uh, unlimited supply of Lego, uh, what would you build given you know the opportunity? Um, first in the alphabet, drink. It's Peter Fenzel. Hey, I'm gonna go with the transcendental signifier, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're going. We're going is that to. A, build. Is that a kit, or do you just have to like cobble together a lot of pieces? If for different, you'd yeah. seen the Lego Movie, Matt, you would know that just using the instructions limits your imagination. But if you don't ever use the instructions, then different people with talents never learn how to work together and create truly beautiful things. Uh, which is basically the main moral of the first half of the Lego movie before it jumps through the Lego looking glass and gets real crazy. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the transcendental signifier is what Derrida's idea of whatever escapes description as the sort of core and source of ultimate meeting and cultures. Right, and that it, it passes from one aspect to another over time. One culture may view its in its transcendental signifier its capacity for learning. Another may identify it with its capacity for devotion and religion. You know, it could be a particular deity. It could be a particular ideal. Uh, whatever it is that the greatest thing is, cultures who because it can't quite get nailed down by language uh, continue to pass it from thing to thing. Uh, and I feel like articulating it through Lego is the next logical step because. We've pretty, we're pretty much done with the whole uh, semiotic epistemological approach to the transcendental signifier. And the, the sort of post-Wittgensteinian evidentiary observational aspect is wearing out its welcome real fast. So I'm hoping that we, we do it with uh, some of those uh, three-by-twos and two-by-twos and uh, four and one in a row with the slanties and all the other great Lego ones. Uh-huh. Get that together. Yep. Something is unsurpassed and unsurpassable in any Lego language. <laughs> Mark Lee, you are next in the alphabet. Okay. So along the theme of uh, 
you know, building something by the instructions and then blowing these and not following the instructions at all and just totally remixing things to your very whim. I would like to first um, have a uh, have Lego create a very detailed set of instructions for building every single structure in New York City government, like all of them, all the buildings, right? That will house all the three hundred and twenty-five thousand some odd employees of New York City government, and there will be three hundred twenty-five thousand little Lego men and women who comprise all of those New York City government employees, um, and that'll just like to completely mix the whole thing up, right? Both the structures. So that you would have, um, you would put like the, um, the the some dude from sanitation. You, you would put the, the city hall. You would put that in charge of sanitation, and then also like all the little Lego dudes. You would swap their heads around as well too. So you have teachers that are uh, doing snow removal, and then you would have snow removal men who are running economic development programs and things like that. Look, I'm combining my love of Legos as a child as my current love of New York City bureaucracy into uh, one crazy mishmashed uh, collection of blocks. Okay, so this is what I want to do with Legos, and don't judge me. That's excellent. <laughs> it's a great plan, and I support it. I condone it wholeheartedly. Thanks, Matt. Uh, on to my answer, uh, a ray gun. So we have a... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's it? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to build a ray gun. and, and you, have all I... the, you have all the Legos you could possibly ask for? And Wait, is this going to be like a functioning ray gun? Like somehow, like the plastic blocks. No, no there are, there's no such thing as a ray gun, Mark. Don't be, don't be ridiculous. But I, I want to build a pretend ray gun and run around the house going pew, 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 pew. <laughs> if uh, only you'd seen the Lego movie, Matt. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, I have to give a spoiler warning for the Lego movie, but Charlie Day plays an 80s spaceship guy, like with sort of a chipped and broken spaceship helmet who only wants to build retro 80s spaceship Lego pieces. And he, every, his whole dream, the whole movie, is I want to build a spaceship. I want to build a spaceship. And then he finally builds a spaceship. And it's like, spaceship, spaceship, pew, 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 spaceship. And they fly all around. It's great. It's uh, something equally amusing to the, the 33-year-olds in the audience and the three-year-olds in the audience, I assure you. Now, you, know, you know what I'm remembering about playing with Legos? is There actually was a tiny little ray gun piece that you could slot into the Lego dude's hand. Yeah, it fit into so that. So it is conceivable that you can make a ray gun out of ray guns. Right. How awesome would that be? <laughs> um, the, it fit into the hand that looks like a, what, like a cup holder, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, that's that's more awesomeness than. Although that is one of the first, one of not the first things, but one of the things that the the youthful mind pursues, right? Like the air, the paper airplane that has other paper airplanes inside of it, you know, a sword with other swords <laughs> attached to it, and other such uh, stackable phenomenon, kind of fractal weaponry is kind of a big thing for the young mind, uh, pointing in all directions and launching out, uh, sort of like the motorcycles coming out of the arms in the Terminator Salvation robot. Thank you, Pete. I was waiting <laughs> for you to reference that. <laughs> okay, so yes. I didn't have to. Thank you. Uh, sure thing. You know, I'm there for you, Mark. Definitely. Because everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. And we're a team right here right now. <laughs> so, pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew. Pew, pew. Yeah, Pete, tell us more about this awesome movie you saw, which I really wanted to see as well, but just couldn't for a variety of reasons. Why is this movie so awesome? Why is everything in this movie awesome? Uh, okay, so the first, I think there's a big twist in this movie. Are you okay with me revealing what the big twist is? Uh, yes. Okay. So, Mar- Matt, you missed your opportunity to object, so I'm going to keep going. No! Oh, damn it. 
So if you if you want to not hear the twist, fast forward until you hear Russian cops singing "Get Lucky," and then <laughs> and then we'll go. So the twist in the Lego Movie is that all of the events of the Lego Movie in the Lego universe are actually the uh, imagination, the imaginative play of a very specific, like nine or ten year old boy who is has uh, snuck into his father's basement and who his father is some sort of kind of obsessive hobbyist with lego and has built a giant lego city like a lego world with all these different kinds of lego realms like old west and medieval and a big big uh city and and he he is um he has told he has signs up to say not to touch any of this this is like his big project and that it's revealed that the movie's sort of surface plot which is about uh lord business trying to use the craggle to uh solidify all of legoland um, the craggle being a jar of crazy glue that has several of the letters rubbed off, um, <laughs> is in fact uh, is in fact the child trying to express, process, and come to terms with the fact that his dad has this giant Lego setup that he's not allowed to play with, and that the dad has actually just about gotten his setup perfect and is going to start crazy gluing the pieces together so that it will stay perfect. Uh, and the kid has this sort of instinctual idea of what to do with Legos that is also, I'm sure, informed by the Lego brand department. Like this is a very transparent lego commercial like let's just be very honest it is the most trans this is like borderline more transparent a legos commercial than the movie getaway was a what a a shelby snake mustang commercial right like when if you haven't heard our podcast on the movie getaway you know what that's fine it's an ethan ox selena gomez movie no go back and listen to it because i talk about what a commercial was but yeah this is a big commercial where the father and son have talks about their relationship that are inspired by the fact that they get to play lego together but yes the lego characters in the game sort of like the master hand in smash brothers only know of the humans through like vague legends of their fingers like coming down occasionally to touch them and relics of real non-lego objects such as a band-aid or a rubber band that show up in their world from time to time and so it's revealed that all of the events that have occurred prior to the hero falling into some sort of black hole abyss, which actually makes him wake up, be aware of the people around him. <clears throat> the father being played by Will Ferrell. Excuse me, I have to take a drink here. Wow, Pete, you, you're getting all, all uh, you know, uh, choked up at the, this movie. I mean, was it really that moving? It was totally moving, and also the almonds I was eating were very salty. Uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, but yes, but it's all revealed that it's part of the son processing his relationship with his father, which of course is a great cop out for the fact that its whole its whole like uh, society is meant to constrain your edu- your your imagination, and you should try to be a rebel. So therefore, you should hang out with Batman and Superman, who are owned by the Warner Brothers Company, which made this movie, right? Like it's like the the guy the protagonist is like an everyday joe lego construction worker guy who discovers he is the special and there's a prophecy that says that he's going to save the world you know how much i hate all that yeah, well the movie is like lampooning that intentionally right exactly it's basically yeah. like this kid has made up this stupid story and it's just like every other freaking <laughs> stupid movie and it's revealed that this is in fact the imagination of like a fairly young child uh and which is why like you know the hero hanging out with batman and trying to steal batman's girlfriend and then like batman going to go hang out with han solo and billy d williams because like they're bon vivants and he's learned french apparently like that's i think that's really 
to the movie's the thing the movie deserves the most credit for, other than making like a pretty clever meta twist halfway through, and of course just for its rote sentimentality and just the vocabulary of images and thoughts and feelings, which are just really great, is that it's a it's a really solid movie. A lot of movies pretend to be about children imagining the world and creating it through their imagining. But none of those movies tend to capture the madness of childhood play. And like it's sort of disorganization, the way that things come rapidly in and out of existence. You know, no child ever really imagined Fantasia from the never-ending story. Right, like no kid, no child ever really. Uh, God, I thought that sentence was going to go in a different direction. Right, like no one, no child ever imagined Fantasia from the Walt Disney Company. But, <laughs> well, that's another perfect example. Yeah, exactly. Right, it, it, it's, it's like, too beautiful and well ordered. Exactly, and like also, I always found the Rockbiter, for all his charms, to be somewhat pedestrian for the imagination of a child. That's clearly the robust and and smoke flavored imagination of a German adult, right? Which like put together like a Treyu and the Rockbiter and the childlike Empress. Why would a child have a childlike Empress? Why would a child fascinate like fantasize about being young? He wouldn't, right? Like so, it's uh, it's it's a lot of these kinds of movies where it's like, oh, the imagination of a child has the power to create the universe, are really just sort of. Conventionally plotted movies that happen to use that as its, you know, raison d'etre or whatever fake French word I'm going to use. Um, the movie, by the way, the relic that they're searching for to fix things in the movie is called the Peace of Resistance, which I found to be amusing. He has different stance. But yeah, but it, but this is a movie where it is supposedly all the imaginations of a child, the imaginings of a child, and thus it it makes no sense, and it like rapidly fluctuates, and you move from world to world very fast. At one point, Batman flies and breaks a hole in the sun that's shaped like the bat symbol, and you like go to another part of Legoland. You know, everything can be built up or broken down, and except for the very sort of aggressive, I think somewhat reductive. It has to be reductive fact that everything is made out of the plastic blocks made by this very specific company <laughs> the idea that like the imaginations the imaginings of a child can be fully articulated by these bricks that you can buy at the store um you know other than that it, it does a great job of making that whole universe very fluid um i mean it does it poses a variety of problems that i kind of want to address in an article so maybe look for that this week <clears throat> but I, in general i loved it and i've gone out about it enough you guys haven't even seen it um do you have any thoughts or questions? And the song, the Everything is Awesome song, is the catchiest song uh, of 2014 so far. So I encourage well, everybody to listen to that song and never stop singing it to yourself. Sure. So, so based on what you described, Pete, it, it sounds like like the story is nonsensical and, and, and like uh, all over the place because, it's come, because it comes from the mind of a child, right? And it has these like stupid things like the, the prophecy and the chosen one kind of things, right? Because that is like a very simple story that, that a child will gravitate to, right? So the movie kind of have it seems like it's having its cake and eating it too, where it like you know makes fun of all these other uh, supposedly adult movies that have these really stupid plot points like the Chosen One and the Prophecy, right? It makes fun of those on one hand, but on the other hand, like it just kind of like takes it and writes it and uses that as a plot device. Yes, right. exactly. Yep, it's having its cake and eating its two left and right. Even the spaceship guy, who like seems, who's played by Charlie Day, as I think I might have mentioned, and who's just like sort of crazy and stupid and a useless character. Uh, and of course, we all want to laugh at him, but we also all want to fly in a spaceship. So it's not a new mm-hmm. thing for a movie to want to have its cake and eat it too. This one just has a particularly interesting and somewhat novel way of justifying it. Sure. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, yeah. after all, isn't that what art is, you know, to have your cake and eat it too? If you just wanted to have cake, you'd, you'd cook. And if you just wanted to eat it, you'd study biology. Or you just <laughs> open it out. 
Wow. So uh, one of the things I found really interesting about the, what made me really interested in seeing this movie to begin with was that it was by the same uh, creative team behind 21 Jump Street, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think which is very relevant to this conversation. I don't know if we covered this on the podcast. I feel like we didn't. That we didn't. I don't think we did a 21 Jump Street episode. Which we really should have because that movie does a fantastic job of similarly taking like a ludicrous commercial, like a transparently classic commercial present uh, premise for reason for its existence, right? In the case of 21 Jump Street, it's like just taking an 80s uh, uh, culture property and, and turning it into a movie. It takes a horribly, that sort of a weak premise for its existence and turns it into a really creative movie that both subverts uh, and takes advantage of uh, of its reasons for existence, right? Yes. And also sells the heck out of its product. That's the other thing about this movie is it just like unabashedly sells Legos. Like you're going to want to <laughs> buy Legos after you watch this movie. You should probably be you should probably tie yourself down before you watch it, like Odysseus and the Sirens, so that you don't go out and buy Legos. Like blow your paycheck on Legos after seeing this movie. I'm built in the house now and entirely of Legos, and I'm horribly in debt to the Russian mob. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about like the movie as the commercial, then, right? Like, is is uh, is that something in, that's inherently bad about a movie that's being used to sell a product that it has this ulterior function? Is it tainting? The uh, the pure art that is cinema ought to be like I'm putting those uh, hanging those out there as straw man. I don't think that's really the case, mm-hmm. but like you know, it is not like uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight is being used to sell uh, 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 what uh, Nokia phones, right? Those are that's like something that's an incidental product placement yeah. in the movie, right? It, it is, its primary reason for being is not to sell a product that is not a movie ticket, whereas the Lego Movie that seems to be the case. Yeah, it even goes past the movie's own purpose uh, for selling to the movie's similarities in terms of form and function to a commercial. Like, it feels huh. like a commercial at times. There are scenes that would play out in a commercial. Like, unpack that a little bit. I'm really curious to, to know. So, like, in know. the scenes where Will Ferrell and his son talk about Legos, and where we're, Will Ferrell kind of – there's a big, long moment where Will Ferrell looks at all the things his son has done to change his city. And he's like, you built all this? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, and Mr. Business is the bad guy? And he's like, yeah. And he says – uh what would the construction guy say to Mr. Business so that he doesn't have to be the bad guy, right? And then they start sort of playing the blocks together. And it, it just – it feels like someone's oiling a baseball mitt in like, with like the frosty glass. What it, what it is doing there is it is selling you Legos by appealing – to your uh, your sort of desire for a more fulfilling or idyllic family experience, or like a, a like a meeting of emotional needs with relation to family, and it's using that energy to sell you Legos, and it's using the energy to sell you Legos to like propel the story forward, <laughs> right? Like it's <laughs> like the the story is like the tertiary goal, right? It's like the third thing that's happening in that scene, and it's just a scene that I feel like I've seen a bunch of times where the father has a realization that through this product he can connect with his son. There's even the tra- the ending is even more. More transparent, where the father is like, "Well, now that you can play down here, your sister's going to have to play down here too." And all of a sudden, a bunch of duplos show up, right? Like, and start talking broken <laughs> English. And I laughed. I cry. I laughed so hard I cried at that moment because I understand. I remember what it was like to combine Legos and duplos and to be playing Legos with your little sisters. Um, and like, and, and that made me laugh a lot. But at the same time, it was you know an, a cr- tremendously transparent product push, and like a commercial, like just a, just a pitch line. And I mean, I'm not. And movies do this all the time, and and that's fine. They're not above it necessarily. But at the same time, and I felt this the same way when I saw Getaway, 
there is a certain fig leaf that you want to wear a lot of the time saying that this movie isn't actually a commercial, that the movie has some sort of formal differentiation. Oh, shut up. Yeah. I've got the power glove. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. It's not a coincidence that some of the most mocked and, and derided movies ever are commercials for this. Are you that. kidding? I love The Wizard. Yeah, the, the, the Wizard is a pretty serious family movie in a lot of ways. But then it's about Super Mario Brothers three, um, and it's glorious. It's totally glorious. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm looking at a a uh, listicle online now called uh, 25 hilariously obvious product placements in movies," which I'll link up in the show notes, uh, cool, cool. so that everyone can can enjoy the yeah. the 25 obvious product placements. But the, the the thing is, there is no transcendental signifier. I think this is the thing you're trying to say, Pete. Right? Like there is no there is no glorious pastoral commercialism free cinema right that oh, that yeah. we can pine for uh mm-hmm. that we can pine for someday i mean the, the other the other way of looking at it is that perhaps this is a movie made by and for people who really do believe that legos are that special right like that actually do really love legos and think that and there are crazier things to think and think that the key to a successful family life is for everybody to play legos together sure and well i mean there are yeah. there are people who have like I don't even know what to call it. Who are who are Lego enthusiasts? The way there's... a Lego maniac, I believe, is the official term. <laughs> Zach, like was Zach, zero. Zach, yeah, patience. Zach was patient zero. Yes. So but yes, yeah, he's a Lego maniac. Yeah, Lego maniac. I have some terrible news, ma'am. You're you're Zach. Zach. He's a Lego maniac. He's a, yeah. Well, Lego in the in the new DSM, Lego mania has been redefined. Um, <laughs> you know, along non psychodynamic uh, lines. Um, so yeah, but uh, right, like that, super enthusiasts of Legos. That that's a real thing, right? Like. Yep. Were there I felt le- like, yeah, I felt like the biggest shortfall of the movie in terms of uh, really embracing what it's about and also sort of dodging accusations of being a commercial is that the Will Ferrell character – so here's the big problem with the movie. Okay, so a, the big problem with the movie is that the only thing that's really presented uniformly to everyone as bad is that the – is the craggle, is the cra- the plan to crazy glue the entirety of Legoland into – Basically, death, right? The lack of motion is death on an event known sinisterly as Taco Tuesday, which we learn later is the family is actually having a Taco Tuesday. But in the Legoland, Taco Tuesday is like a government acronym and a secret plan to like make everyone think they're getting tacos, but really they're all getting crazy glued God, to death. I really, I really, really want to see this movie. Oh, it's a great, it's a great movie. Continue, continue. And so, like, so, like, there's this whole thing where this. Okay, so you got a family, and Will Ferrell is the patriarch of this family. Uh, we never see the mother. We never see the sister. It's just Will Ferrell and the kid, and. Um, and he has this giant Lego set in his basement, this giant Lego thing. And he's given his son, like, a many of his, uh, his own Legos to play with. And the son doesn't want to, of course, play with his own Legos. He wants to play with his dad's Legos, which makes perfect sense. If we've ever played with somebody's really cool toys, we all know what that's like. The thing is that, like, there's nothing else about Will Ferrell's character that is weird. Right? Like, like there's no other justification or there's no other insight. There, it's, it's not, it's not um, portrayed to us as, like, an out-of-the-ordinary thing at all that Will Ferrell's character has, like, a room-sized Lego display in his basement. And I feel like um, – and, and this, this, excuse me, this reaches over into the movie where, like um, – 
the Everything is Awesome song is actually quite sinister. It's pre- it's presented in the movie as a sort of uh, um, uh, Huck Aldous Huxley esque device for social control, where everybody sings this song literally all the time, and it's playing on all the radio stations, so people lose the capacity for independent thought and questioning the government, <laughs> right? And it's like it's got the traditional old thing of like, oh, reality television is there as bread and circuses, and nobody's really questioning that the business guy is actually bad, and everybody is like staying asleep, and nobody's being creative, and nothing exciting is happening, um, except that everything is awesome, and everybody's having a great time building with Legos. And then that's sort of the thing is that like the only thing that make everybody does seem to enjoy living the conformist lifestyle where they all build from the instructions. And then later when the manic pixie dream girl Lego character shows up, whose name is wild style, which is appropriate that she's the imagining of a 10 year old boy because she's obviously an absurd <laughs> character. Spelled with wise also, right? Uh, apparently. And he's a real, a real token nod to the fact that this is a very male dominated movie. Um, at one point the protagonist like white knights himself and like allows the woman to be in charge of, of the mission like temporarily uh and this is sort of like the movie washing its hands of its gender problem but um which is not as pronounced i mean at least it pays lip service to the fact that there's a gender problem but it's like the only reason why it's necessarily really bad is because he's going to end the world because he's going to crazy glue it all together and the only reason that this the dad's stuff is is bad is because the kid wants to play with it and the dad won't let him Right. And like from the perspective of the kid, this all makes sense. Kids have a rather narcissistic way of looking at the universe a lot of the time. Right. Like as do adults. But like, you know, we don't know what good the dad really derives from building with the Legos. Does the dad really like the Legos? Does the, you know, is it part of his relationship with other people? Is it how he stays young at heart? Like we don't know. There's all this good that's sort of tertiarily associated with the Lego building that the adults do and it's the Lego building of the establishment and it's the evil Lego building of the conformists, which is somewhat apologized for within the Lego within the Lego plot. Um, so that all does happen, but the, but it's like if you don't have the device of the crackle to say this is the bad guy, it's not necessarily clear that it's the bad guy. Um, and I, I think that, that there is – I don't know if it's necessarily a problem for the movie, but it's definitely one of the chinks you can pull apart to just sort of describe the innards of how this movie works and like what it does and what it doesn't do. So well, speaking of a narcissistic way of looking at the world, segues <laughs> <laughs> the one about the Russians, the one about yeah, exactly. But I'm glad you picked this one. Uh, the uh, the Russians are are hosting the Olympics, and apparently they've got their hotel thing sorted out. And you know, um, do they? Yeah. I don't know. I just read the other day that a. Um a U.S. athlete was locked into his uh, bathroom and had to like bust through it like the Incredible Hulk slash, <laughs> slash the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dislocating his shoulder and rendering himself unfit to compete in the Olympics. No, that would be tragic. I don't know why I find that funny. I, I must be a terrible person. Um, well, you know what Stalin said? You know, when, when you or I die, it's a tragedy. But when an American bobsled player dies, it's a statistic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, in the, land of, in the land of Joseph Stalin, the, uh, the Winter Olympics are, are going on. And uh, they're making snow and it's, uh, it, everything is going smoothly. Or is it ring fail? Um, <laughs> in Putin's Russia, everything is awesome. <laughs> everything is great all the time. <laughs> it's uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's funny. We think of it as Putin's Russia, but he is no longer president of Russia, isn't he? He he gave himself. Oh no 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 no! You know, he was president of Russia, and then he like uh, let someone else be president of Russia for a while. And then he's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm president of Russia. I'm president. I believe his official title is, is Tywin Lannister. <laughs> I think he's the Tywin Lannister of Russia. Right. So, um, <laughs> it really, it's the Augustus. He's doing the whole Tribune of the Plebis thing where he like gives himself whatever office gives him the power he wants at a given time, but really like sort of uses soft power to, to control a lot of what's going on. Uh, so we're, we're in the midst of the Pax Putina. Um, which is, <laughs> that sounds a lot more delicious than it actually is. <laughs> In case you don't know, poutine is is you know French Canadian chili fries, and that's uh, that's that's one to grow on. Um, so I'm I'm still stuck in the middle of my segue. Someone someone saved me by saying something interesting about about the Olympics. They sure. okay. they happened. A, uh, they, a, they they are happening now. Olympics are happening as we speak, uh, as you listen to this podcast. Um, okay, so here's the overriding thing to, to, to talk about when we talk about the Olympics, which is that uh, here, from our perspective in America and a lot of other countries around the world that don't have friendly relationships with Russia, um, we are sort of actively rooting for these games to uh, – we, we are sort of actively rooting against Russia. We are – there's a high degree of schadenfreude for uh, anything that is perceived as a, a mishap or something that's not particularly smooth about the Olympic Games, whether it's the specifics of the opening ceremony or, like, the hotel reality on the ground, right? This is some ways, like, we want to get cosmic justice for uh, Russia oppressing homosexuals and or that's a, just that's Putin in, oppressing everybody. That's um, in marked that's like contrast. That's the big meta-narrative going on. Yeah, going and that's, a, that's in marked contrast to the, the Olympic spirit, right? Like, I remember I happened to have been, for un-Olympic-related reasons, in London for the 2012 Games, <laughs> And like I maybe it was just because I was where they were uh, going on, and so there's a there's a selection bias because I was only going to run into people who thought the Olympics were awesome because the the whole city was overrun with such people. Um, but it it seemed like there was just this sense of like up with people and everything is awesome and like the whole. The whole world wants this to go great, and it's a, it's a big party for the, you know, it's a big party for the the whole world, and this this sort of sense that you identify that, and and I think you're right, uh, and you know, if if truly I search my soul, I think I may I may share this. Like, wouldn't it be great if they were really embarrassed for their, you know, and uh, they kind of were, right? Uh, like. Uh, Friday during the day, uh, the opening ceremonies were happening, and they were they were you know they were tape delayed uh, broadcast on NBC later on. But um, the, my Twitter feed was full of pictures of the Olympic ring fail. Right, this is like pretty embarrassing thing where like this they had this really impressive effect plan where these uh, like huge snowflakes were going to uh, blossom into the rings of the Olympic symbol, and one of them didn't open. Right, it's just like it's a really convenient image for people who want to tell the story that these games are a mess because Russia sucks. Yeah. Now, of course, for our Russian audience, we want to tell you you don't suck. You know that's that's not what we're saying, but but we're we're talking about a sense in in the states at least that I don't know that that uh, we're we're sort of cackling with glee every time well, every time something something so, goes wrong. Yeah, and here's because the- I think it's because. Well, I, I have an idea of why it is, but but finish your thought, and then we can delve into. Yeah, my thought is that we are just relapsing into the Cold War mentality, which we never fully shook off after the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. Um, 
for our generation and uh, uh, you know Matt, Pete, and myself, I'm I'm speaking for uh, for on your behalf, but I suspect you'll agree with me in that like we grew up with the Cold War. Uh, as an in, in, integral part of our experience, it was the Twilight struggle that defined our childhood. I, I was um, scared of Russian spies as a child, and I, I thought that they were going to to spy on us and I don't know do do bad things in America. That so you know when there there were never like monsters under the bed or something. There were Russian spies outside the window, right? I was just scared of ICBMs, just like missiles coming in from far away and just obliterating a nuclear whole country. war, right? The, and yeah. it seemed like it seemed like like it was a real thing. The way the the, the grown ups thought mean, that, that could happen, was. a real thing that yeah. could happen, is what I I meant. Kind of at kind of at at any moment, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is you know in the eighties, we at this point we were, we we were the inheritors of forty years of of Cold War culture, right? You know, you can point to all a number of things. Red Dawn, the hunt for Red October, um, uh, the great Commodore 64 game Raid over Moscow. Does anybody remember that one? Um, the great part about that game, uh, aside from the fact that you get to kill Russians, was that it took like uh, 20 minutes just to get your spaceship out of the space station so you can go and fly your missions. But that's a whole other podcast there, Raid over Moscow and Commodore 64 games. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is that um, I-, I think for a lot of Americans, um, we, are, we are reactivating our uh, our Cold War animosity towards Russia, which was dormant for um, those wacky 90s when Boris Yeltsin was president and was just kind of a buffoon and Russia was a mess. Um, now that they're back, if they're sort of, a, and, and uh, they are doing things we don't agree with, they're a convenient other. They have always been a convenient other, and now they're just back again as such. Right. I mean, this, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that's happening that's kind of important to this dynamic, right? There's particularly there's the natural gas markets and there's the EU, right? There's the the fact that now that you, you know Russia is a giant exporter of natural gas and supplies gas to a lot of Europe, and that's a major security and economic lever that they can pull. And there's the proxy war happening right now in the Ukraine. Like, that's kind of a big deal. Everything in Iran, everything in Syria, you know, there's they, they, to a degree, the, the certainly the power oppositions between the United States and Russia have been pretty, you know, pretty consistent for a while. Sure. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess in the terms of like demonizing Russia as being terrible, um, yeah, maybe the culture has seemed, has taken a bit of a nap, right? Like, um, certainly the... Um, the the Red Dawn games from Westwood Studios, right, could not be quite so campy where we actually scared of a Russian attack on the United States. Um, but yeah, there there is a new there is a new Cold War mentality to an extent. Well, I yeah, but it, it's it's different from the Cold War mentality because it's like it's a sense that Russia is a threat in other ways, in non sort of military ways, right? Through their economic power as sort of having natural resources that the the world. Uh, depends on, or also, I mean, I th- I think that there is this specter of Russia as a place with uh, where sort of capitalism has been unleashed, but without a lot of the the social protections, right? That we think of as being part and parcel of uh, a free market economy, um, right? 
it's it's not uh it's not the case i mean those two things are are different and they don't necessarily have to go together uh we're discovering uh in in certain hot places in the world right now that are you know uh developing economically very very quickly um so there there's this sense i mean there are two senses there are two kind of horrors one is that there is a there is an economic or a sort of lifestyle threat um, and the other is that it's something, you know, I don't know, it's something, it's something monstrous and like, uh, it's something monstrous ipso facto. And I, I compare this to the, the Beijing opening ceremonies, right? Do you, do you remember, uh, there was a, uh, an article in the New Yorker for the Beijing opening ceremonies that, that, um, uh, Anthony, Anthony Lane wrote, uh, what kind of country can afford to make pictures out of its people? Right. And, and there was a sense that, that this thing is, is sort of so, so massive and it's so imbalanced somehow to our, to our American sensibility, uh, our instinctual sense of how the world ought to be organized. It's organized so differently that it, it's kind of scary that it exists. Right. Are, are you, I think you're touching on something that might take us a little bit of a tangent, which is like the. Well, um, let's let's the, not do it. The um, you know, of course, no, we would never do that here. Um, I think you're talking about the uh, theatrical display of uh, strong state power or of authoritarianism, right? That we saw in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. With like, if you if you've forgotten, there was this really powerful image of like the 400 Chinese dudes who were yelling and banging on the drums and in incredibly powerful unison, right? This is the symbol of like the Chinese are going to come take us over. Kind of thing, yeah. Right? With their with and, their drums, you know? yeah, very precisely tying drums and yelling. They were scary. That reminds oh. me of the Battle of New Orleans, man. Drums <laughs> kept, kept people kept running. They kept playing. The pipes kept playing. There, oh, I don't even remember the song. Never there, mind. There, never there, mind. There, there, there wasn't quite as many as there was a while ago. <laughs> there it is. There yeah. it is. So, so anyway, and, and, you know that that was two thousand eight. Um, what we see now in two thousand and fourteen in Russia then is the, you know the massive stage spectacle that they had put on with a lot of choreographed elements and huge uh, set pieces. Right, that's an enor- enormous horse horses that were galloping through. Uh, there's really cool projected ships that were uh, uh, put onto the massive surface of the arena. Um, all these ways are sort of like projecting power and saying like look at all these resources that we can spend on um on on making people do things and putting huge things in the sky right is that something that we're sort of uh uh, repelled by when we see uh these opening ceremonies in authoritarian countries i I think when it's not us yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean, I watched two back-to-back Mormon Tabernacle Choir Christmas specials on Christmas Eve for on Christmas this past year. Uh, one with Jane Seymour and one with uh, Tom Brokaw as like the narrator. And let me tell you, they don't they pull out all the stops, right? The uh, when the little parachuted candies came down from the ceiling onto the crowd of thousands watching the singers, right? Like uh, to to commemorate the D-Day drop on Christmas or not the D-Day East Germany. Uh, uh, drop on Christmas of candy to the children of East Berlin, you know, like it was. Uh, that's a that's a show of force right there. And any, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is definitely a show of force. Yeah, it's funny you should mention Mormon, Mormon Tabernacle Choir because I went back and looked up the uh, 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Olympics opening ceremony, which is the last time we had an Olympics in the United States. And uh, of course, who performs at that opening ceremony? But 
the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, right? I mean, they were pretty much made for things like this, for giant displays of, of power uh, and glory. And power yeah. and glory, right? I mean, isn't that, there's all sorts of art that pays tribute to these things. Uh, but yeah, Matt, you go on with your answer to it, because I'm sure you were going to say something in addition along the same lines. I, I thought I was done. I thought I had made it. <laughs> I, thought I, I wanted had... you to show a massive show of authoritarian power over the Overthinking It podcast. I wanted you to simultaneously play 15 drums all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, no, no, you got uh, it. Here we go. She's up all night to get some. Yes, I'm yes, up yes, all yes, night to get lucky. She's up. No, quiet. She's up all night to get some. Quiet, you. I'm up all night to <laughs> oh, get lucky. Sir, sir. Can I have some more, please? <laughs> We're up all night to get... We're up all night all to get. get. He's up all night to get. get. We're up, We're up. All night That, to that get. was a tight choir. I'm just going to say, from a musical point of view, as a guy who's sung in a couple of choirs, that they they were tight. Those those guys were good. Is that they were all singing together in the way that they intended to sing together? Yeah, sure. This is the Russian police choir that sang "Get Lucky" at the opening ceremonies that we linked to you a video of in our Twitter feed that people have been talking about. Right? That's what you're talking about with the "Get Lucky" stuff. Yes, Precise. indeed. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Uh, that is indeed, yes. I confirm that that is what I am talking about. <laughs> Thank you, Pete, for clarifying. Okay, good. I didn't want to jump ahead too far. People have to follow what we're talking about. Jeez. Okay, uh, so, now so, you start singing. If you stopped listening because it was spoilers for the Lego movie, this is probably where you're back up <laughs> with the podcast. So we want to give you an idea of what we've been talking about. Right. Okay, so what is it that we're talking about when we talk about the Russian police or military choir singing Get lucky, right? We have um, this uh, display of overwhelming power, right? The, you know, this, uh, this precise uh, uniformed choir. They got those big uh, uh, hats that we associate with the Soviet military kind of thing, right? Um, and yet they are, uh, uh, to a Western audience at least, they're kind of making fools out of themselves by uh, singing Get Lucky, right? If you haven't seen the video, just imagine, like, Two uh, guys in this choir are um, you know, singing the uh, the lead vocal parts, and they're kind of like trying to dance uh, funkily, or, um, like as of uh, daftly and punkily and funkily, right? Um, and punkily, uh, while the rest of the choir is standing very stoically, and every once in a while, like providing the harmonies, like the oh oh oh, um, it's it, it, the the effect that I it has had when I've shown it to people is is uniformly and overwhelmingly comedic. Right. To us, we are laughing at this. But someone over there thought that this would be a cool, this would be a good thing to do. I think they probably thought it was funny. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, think, I don't think that it's like, hey, let's have these policemen in full uniform sing a Daft Punk song. That nobody, uh, Guys, like, you, know what will, you know what will terror, terrorize the decadent Westerners? <laughs> if we have our, our policemen sing a Daft Punk song. Around the world, around the world. Maybe that's what they were supposed to do at first, was like a thousand people all singing Around the World by Daft Punk uh, to commemorate Russian. Uh, and then they, the last minute, they, the Daft Punk wouldn't give them the rights to Around the World because it's owned by a different record company. So they got <laughs> instead. Uh, maybe one more time because they were going to host the Olympics one more time. Uh, there's so many options in the DAFCON catalog for compelling lyrical work. <laughs> I mean, okay, so what's really going on, I think, is that like we want to laugh at these Russians because uh, they are interpreting Western pop culture so poorly. 
Right. I, I, mean, that's, that I, mean, going I, on. I think I've seen Westerners sing that song similarly. I don't think it's a poor interpretation of a Daft Punk song to sing it like a silly person. But anyway, I, that's what you're saying. We'll say that's what you're saying on your side of the Iron Curtain, Mark. And, uh, and all the free people on my side of the Iron Curtain are going to appreciate <laughs> the song for what it is. And we're going to airdrop candy on the children on your side of the Iron Curtain. I mean, I mean look, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, right? We're sort of, you know, we are looking for. Um, uh, ways for this Olympics to fail, for opportunities to lampoon Russia because they are this enemy. We have reignited our our Cold War hatred of them, right? I think that's. I think uh, us making fun, but the, the the inclination to make fun of this rendition of Daft Punk of, of Get Lucky is part and parcel of what I just described. The, yeah, but I think it's also cyclical. I think it's also cyclical because it's like the Cold War also feels a, a need to hate. Right, it's like there's an energy to hate, and people want to steer it in the direction of the Russians for military reasons, for political reasons, for social reasons, cultural reasons. Right, that's why so much of it was sort of seamlessly transitioned towards terrorists after 9/11. So much of the same language that was used for communists was used for fundamentalist Islamists, despite the fact that the ideologies could not be more opposed to one another in like any respect whatsoever, except for the fact that they both have someone who's in charge of them, who tends to be rather not nice. But then again, you know, whatever. But the point is that, uh, you know, the internet in general also has a strong incentive towards being angry associated with it and being upset about things, and particularly being upset about things that affect niche cultures, because that's, you know, what gets attention and what sort of in the natural and sexual selection of the internet evolutionary content march of, of time and, and space and species and all that other nonsense. That's what bears out is like the people who are angry about something. And so just as so it is a natural thing then to say well in the past when we've needed to be angry about something for some reason Russia's been a good target and now of course with the Ukraine thing happening well it's a good target again and the gay thing happening it's a good target again and so I guess I don't know I would say it's both I would say it's both that it happens to be occasion for hatred that's already there and it's also an occasion for fresh hatred uh, related to the reemergence of the Cold right. War. So uh, back in 1991, those halcyon days of 1991. Um, uh, watching the world wake up from history, Mark. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, like, who, who are we hating then? Um, right, this is the, that... that um, Democrats. The period, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the period after, uh, after the Soviet Union collapse and before 9-11, right? This sort of uh, odd Pax Americana of sorts that, that, we, that we were in at the time. Uh, who were we making a boogeyman out of then? I mean, I guess the aliens from the Independence Day movie. In I mean, Slobodan Milosevic and the Serbians uh, was one. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I mean, Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein and the, and the Gulf War was another. Um, the Iranians, the Ayatollah. Um, I mean, you can just go yeah, that That's the sort of a hangover from the 70s. But um, I know. Well, Beirut. Beirut is, is the 80s. And I mean, that's into the 90s and Lebanon and stuff. I don't know. I'm just trying to remember the 90s. I mean, the, God knows there's enough of that on the Internet. Let me tell you. Um, I'm remembering uh, the famous uh, on-screen portrayal of Saddam Hussein in the seminal 1990s action parody movie Hot Shots Pardieu. Ah, uh, yes. Right? I think, yeah, that sums it up right there, right? I believe he is, he uh, establishes that he has metal liquid powers like the T-1000. <laughs> he is frozen with, with yeah. nitrogen, shattered into a million pieces next to his, his little puppy dog, and then the puppy dog and him reassemble T-1000 style, such that Saddam Hussein has a puppy dog face. That's right. That, that, that totally happened in that movie. And then he has, like, a, a, a fireplace poker lightsaber fight with the President of the United States, played by Lloyd Bridges. 
Night. That's another movie a lot like the Lego movie in a lot of respects. And <laughs> um, that it is, ju- it is, it has delights in play. <laughs> it delights in play. Uh, yeah, the product of a childlike imagination as well, perhaps. So did you guys like anything else about the opening ceremony? Um, other things that are interesting, let's put it this way. Um, there's a lot of ballet. There's a lot of, like, Tchaikovsky and um, uh, uh, reminders of Russia's uh, high culture contributions, right? Um, which, like, are, you know, a very sort of different cultural uh, display than the policeman scene Get Lucky, right? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things to say about this, but like, on a pretty obvious level, it's this uh, reminder of uh, Russia's contributions in these areas, right? Um, and it comes from a bit of a, a sense of uh, insecurity on Russia's part, which goes back centuries, 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 um, of them feeling like they uh, that Europe and the Western world treats them as a backwater, right? As a sort of a, a backwards uh, state of uh, of Asiatic barbarians, right? Right. Um, yeah. But like what Russia's basically saying is like, no, we are part of the Western tradition. Look at the, our amazing contributions to ballet, to classical music, right? These are like these are part things that you take for granted as part of the of, uh, of the Western tradition. Uh, and yet they come from Russia, a, a place which you want to alienate and separate from. The yeah, Russian I mean, region. it's it's funny that that wound still smarts hundreds of years later, right? Where it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think of the, I know because I've read them all a bunch of times, the plays of Chekhov, right? And, the, you know, France especially looms large in the plays of Chekhov as, as being, you know, the seat of culture and, uh, you know, the place, the place from which... Um, elegance and beauty and and cultural value uh come and and goodness we wish we wish we were like that it 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 i don't know it's it, it's amazing how long we hold on to these things right how- oh yeah they get passed down these things are resilient these these like feelings of insecurity these enmities I mean, if the space if the spaceship Lego Man joke is still playing like thirty years later, imagine something that actually matters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the I mean the interesting thing I think about that I, that I think about that is that when I when I sort of interrogate my own um, uh, my own prejudices about Russian ballet, uh, I think of it as being and and le- let me make perfectly clear that i don't know the first thing about ballet well no i i know the first thing which is that it it involves dancing uh but i don't know the second through 500 things about ballet um and uh, i i think of it as being you know rigid and regimented and being like uh sort of being sort of like the stories we used to hear about soviet russia and like children being you know uh, put into like gymnastics camps and and you know things like this to to develop as as young children to breed up a, a race of Russian super athletes to dominate at at the Olympics. The same thing. Lord knows the United States we don't send children to gymnastics camps. Yeah. That would be barbaric. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but 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 with ballet, like I don't know if you've seen the movie White Knights with uh, with Barishnikov. Um, but it it paints a pretty pretty imposing picture of how rigid the how rigid the sort of Russian cultural establishment is to the point where Barishnikov's character uh, defects right to get to get away from it um, and and our idea of ballet at least in the the popular culture now uh, is is Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis getting it on you know and that that's a very different sort of thing 
Yeah, totally. I mean, you could also, the one movie I'm sort of leaning towards comparing it to is a movie I saw this week, a little movie called Remember the Titans. Um, I don't know if you've seen Remember the Titans, but it has a similar issue wherein it's a camp that they send these children to in order to be forced to play a competitive activity for the entertainment of others that it puts them through physical and emotional strain and stress and authority is, is abused, some might say, um, all to indoctrinate them with the values that we've chosen to indoctrinate them with. Are you not entertained? <laughs> yes. That's my favorite part of Remember the Titans, is when the Emperor Commodus and Denzel Washington chop each other's heads off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Uh, I don't know. I Maybe I, discipline, it is interesting to talk about discipline, disciplining children and, like, freedom, right? Like, how much, how much freedom does a child, is a child going to have who is going to be elite at something? Is an interesting question, and and does the does, is it a fundamental measure of the liberality of a government for its elite children to be relatively more or relatively less worked, right? Like, um, are we better to have like sort of Downton Abbey children where they they grow up in nice houses and whatnot? And uh, actually, there are no children in Downton Abbey. What am I even talking about? There's only babies. Um, but there's no, there's no like, oh, this kid needs to get really good at this thing. Yes, but the, um, right, except for you know which fork to use at the dinner table. And... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> how to how so, to yeah, so how to have your servants it. dress you? Yeah, I mean, if you really like the thing that you're doing, then working really hard at it seems to be rewarding. And if you don't like the thing that you're doing, then like it doesn't seem to be that rewarding, and it seems to be tyranny. And that seems to always have been the thing that it is, right? I don't know. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I mean, like, uh, you know, in this this discourse is around authoritarian governments and things like that. Uh, And, and, you know, uh, what we're talking about here with athletics and young young children, I mean, the the same thing always comes up with China as well, too, right? The other boogeyman that we were talking about earlier, where they'll take, uh, handpick young children from the age of four and send them to gymnastics, uh, gymnastics camps that become super gymnasts to take over the, 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 the world in athletic competitions or like at least in the proxy take over the proxy world and the proxy with their drums the with their drums their yes, gymnastic the drums. drums yeah i mean um well i think i feel like um you guys on the on the tft podcast often talk about this idea of youth and youth culture and 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 the freedom to do things as a as a uh, a product of um, industrialized society and, and uh, economic affluence, right? Where uh, countries that um, essentially have the luxury to allow kids to do things that aren't adult activities, like to produce, uh, to, to compete and pr- to produce, right? They can just, like, be kids and run around and play with Legos all day, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would propose a separate measure from the one that, that Pete proposed, right, that the, the measure of liberality of society is how many of its potentially elite children are free not to become elite children. Uh, <laughs> right? The downwardly mobile, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, you know, the, let's not pretend like there's not a huge downside uh, in, in – you know, exploiting your own talent. And I don't mean exploiting, I mean developing your talent um, at, you know, such an early age that you can be world-class and in the forefront of the world-class, uh, you know, at a tiny, uh, as a, as a t- while, you, while your fingers are still those adorably cute little baby fingers. Um, I, I, you know what I was thinking of? I was thinking of adorable little baby fingers playing piano, right? And, uh, and piano, piano prodigies. And then, you know, I don't know, there, I suppose 
I suppose it's not always it's not always awful. I, I, there are children who the where the you hear interviews and the parents say, "Well, we couldn't have kept her away from the piano." You know, we couldn't have. Uh, it would have been cruel to to uh, rip her from this thing that that she loved doing from dawn till dusk um, so much. You know, who's not elite children? Us. <laughs> Is that because we didn't play with Legos enough? Or yeah, we pro- too much. Probably not. No, that's that's just the deep, uh, you know, the I don't know, the deep and abiding family wounds that we all, you know, <laughs> nurture and that fester and, uh, you know, that that will will never truly heal. Uh, that will only snap together like a uh, <laughs> like two Lego blocks snapping, uh, snapping closed. Uh, everything is awful, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, listen, if you have something that you would like to add about, uh, the Lego movie, uh, which I think we're all, we're all putting on our list to go see, uh, even Pete is putting it on his list to go see again. And yeah, right there with I Frankenstein and that awkward moment. It's right there on that list of movies that money to go um, watch in the theater. I, I, I don't usually like to call our shot. Oh, sorry. I should finish my thought. Um, this is why I'm a terrible podcaster and not an elite child at all. Uh, or if you'd like to share some thoughts about the Olympics, you can uh, leave a comment on the show notes for this episode or get uh, get in touch with us with all the ways that I usually list but no one ever uses. Um, the, uh, uh, the thing I, I don't like to do is usually call our shot with the topic of the, the episode. But Pete, is it safe to say that we've settled on one for next week? Um, I'm just saying, dead or alive, you guys are coming with me, and we're talking about <laughs> RoboCop. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, a little. I, I, I am sorry to miss that. I'm really uh, regretting that. Oh boy, a little. Mark, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to call you through some sort of robot voice call service at nine o'clock Sunday night, which is when we get together to do these things, and I'm going to tell you somewhere there was a podcast happening, <laughs> and you're going to have to respond to the call. <laughs> I've programmed you with a secret zeroth directive, Mark, and it's it's even greater than protect the innocent and uphold the law and all those other stuff, and it's to dial into the Overthinking It podcast when we talk about RoboCop. Oh, I thought you were going to say that I, I can't uh, arrest any uh, uh, employees of OCP and or Overthinking It. Right. We're not technically employees, though, so <laughs> no. we don't make minimum wage. So. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I count absolutely. as management. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I am exempt from any kind of you know uh, employment protections or workplace OSHA regulations or anything in terms of you know. My my point is, Pete, you can you can build that that pyramid of root beer uh, cans as high as you like, and I don't have to worry about keeping a three O OSHA mandated three O clearance and path of egress at at all times. It, oh, it's man. like Russia. There's no safety regulation. <laughs> Fantastic. It's an old reference, Matt. I've now got a, a pyramid of circular saws that are simultaneously <laughs> running. I got rid of the pyramid of Rupert Kens a long time ago. Oh, okay, sorry. That's an old. I have a yeah. pyramid of circular saws and a ziggurat of belt sanders that are just constantly running. <laughs> and I'm sure that that no no workplace accident. I have a big calendar with number of days that no one's been uh, injured in my. <laughs> Brett five. Yeah, sorry. I sorry, I missed the steady steady progress upward. And by upward I mean from the basement to the first floor to the second floor. Um, <laughs> and yeah. sideways from the window to the wall, but no. <laughs> I digress. All right. Um uh, well uh 
all these listeners call 203-285-6401 if you would like to call or text uh, the Overthinking Podcast email at podcast at overthinkingit.com. A lot of of exciting stuff coming up on the Overthinking It podcast. Uh, Sorry, on Overthinking It this week, uh, we have a, uh, a sport court legal opinion that's going to be published this week, and we're going to uh, continue our discussion about what is and what isn't a sport. Um, That was begun uh, two weeks ago on this very podcast, Uh, and we have uh, the Supreme Court of Sport uh, delivering a legal opinion uh, in the form of a guest article on Overthinking It. That'll be on Monday. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, it should be published. if you want that or if you want more, you can visit us any time of the day and night. Somewhere right now, someone is reading Overthinking It at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't observe. In Putin's Russia, cast pods you. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Everything is awesome. Oh, sorry, Harvey. I thought you were on the other team. <laughs> they kept me out of Russia, but they can't keep me off the podcast or out of Legoland. Hey, guys, give me some bricks.